You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, September the 7th. Sunshine and showers here in TW11 this morning as we walked our third child for her first day at school. My word, how time flies. It's not just the start of a new school year. It's the start of a new political era with Liz Truss taking the reins at number 10. What does her new cabinet and likely new ministerial selection mean for horse racing in particular? And, of course, the impending, or is it indeed impending, white paper. I'll be talking about that with Neil Channing, professional punter and gambling expert, a little bit later on in the programme. I'll also be catching up in a heavyweight edition of the Nick Luck Daily with Timmy Hyde from Camus Park Stud, who talks about the growing influence of No Name Never with his three-star two-year-olds this year. Timmy was the breeder of Little Big Bear and also Ten Sovereigns, who has his first yearlings this, uh, this time round. And George Stannis will be along to talk about the Goss Yorton sale. But first, as our thoughts turn to not only Longines Irish Champions Weekend at Leopardstown, but also to the Kazoo St. Ledger at Doncaster, the story of Hu Yamal, the horse who was second in the derby, subsequently purchased by Australian trainer Gay Waterhouse, her co-trainer Adrian Bott, and a, a series of investors to head ultimately down to the Melbourne Cup, but not before he's taken in the St. Ledger in the care of George Bowie, who spent little time working for Gay a few years ago. Spoke to Gay Waterhouse this morning and asked her in her long and storied career how much she was enjoying this particular journey. Well, it's been the most wonderful ride so far. Most exciting horse. He's a, a beautiful temperament. He's a very good-looking colt. Uh, he was uh, trained by Andrew Balding, who did an extremely good and capable job with the colt, uh, running second in, in the uh, English Derby. Uh, and that's where we first saw him. And then he, uh, we, we made an offer for him straight after the race. Um, and the, the original owner who stayed in the horse, Nick, um, uh, said, no, I want to go to the golf sale, which is correct. And off he went. And we, a group of Aussies, uh, bought him and uh, are enjoying very much uh, racing him. Because horses like this come up relatively rarely, i.e. horses who've just run extremely well in the derby, did you have a clear idea in your own mind of what you thought he was worth? Because I thought he was quite a hard horse to value. We offered a million million guineas for him on the day of the derby, Rob and I. Uh, So, uh, you know, we we knew that he was uh, a valuable horse and and probably if we... The, the derby had been run six weeks or two months later, he would have been a more expensive horse. But at the time, uh, that was, you know, probably, uh, in retrospect, not a bad price. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was the time we thought it was the right price. And it's interesting that when he went to the golf sale, he sold for $1.2 million. So we weren't far off the ball. Oh, you were you were very close to the ball, as as often is the case. Gay, there are lots of good stayers. There are lots of good horses. What specific attributes do you think they need to have to be effective for the job that you want them to do? 
Well, they've got to, they've got to be a supreme athlete. They've got to, you know, if they're going to win a, a major Group One races, uh, they've got to be a supreme athlete. They've got to be very light on their feet. They've got to be athletic. Uh, they've got to have the right attitude. So when you throw the ball, they catch it and run with it. You know, a bit like a footballer. Um, he, he seems very upset. You know, you, you throw a, a, a new idea at him. He's quick to pick it up. Uh, he's a very receptive colt. He, he's got a very lovely, sweet nature. Uh, very exciting horse in my opinion and it was already an interesting story going from Kingsclear to come down to you that was a that was a good story in itself but you've added this fascinating mini chapter with the with the George Bowie era he, he won last time ran very well at Glorious Goodwood and now he's he appears to have a pretty good chance in in Saturday's Kazoo St Ledger what was the thinking behind putting that extra little chapter in well, we're of two minds, Adrian, Adrian Bob Knight, my, my co-trainer, and we were originally going to bring him down. And then um, just uh, circumstances happened and, and we decided to, uh, to keep him in, in England. And George had worked with me, um, me and Adrian, and so he, uh, he was, uh, you know, knew the way we trained. Uh, I think that's important. So he was able to have that training in, in England while we, you know, while we were sort of waiting for him to come to Australia. And and Jay, you've you've trained as many, almost as many people as you have as you have horses, probably more people than you have horses. And and George Bowie's obviously catching the eye here. Would, did you identify a significant talent in him when he worked for you? He was always bright and he was always eager. And I think that's half the battle when they're young. You know, this is a few years ago George was with me. But he was bright, eager and keen. And you can't, you can't beat that in people. It's a great thing, isn't it? It's, eagerness is a, is a wonderful, wonderful uh, attribute for people to have. So he's willing. I was talking to him the other day about how much input you'd had in, in, in the horse since since he'd taken over, and he said a significant amount. He said, indeed, it was your idea to, to put a tongue tie on, on Hu Yamal. Um, what was the thinking behind that? Well, I watch horses very closely, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I also listen to the riders very intently because they've got the final feel of the horse. We haven't. You know, we're on the ground, they're on the horse. Um, and they just made some comments about him, and I just thought it might help. Uh, and, you know, I, was, uh, I also listen very intently to George's feedback on the colt all the time. You know, we talk very regularly, and, um, you know, we're very much... Uh, working as a team it's very pleasant I must say I've enjoyed working with George very much so is this something that you think might be repeated Gay is this is this a pattern that you think you could follow you and Adrian Bott could follow more regularly it could be could easily be you know it's certainly been enjoyable but we're lucky enough we've got the right horse you know if you don't have the right horse you think oh I'm pushing the pee up the hill but uh, we're not pushing any pee up the hill he'll win this race on Saturday Nick he's the most improved three-year-old in England in my opinion because he's just doing everything right at the right time and when horses get on a bit of a roll um, it's amazing what they can do See, I'm giving all your, all your listeners a good tip <laughs> I, 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 I expected nothing less when I when I put the call in today, and uh, I I know 
I, I know that you are the finest you are the finest multitasker of anyone I know because only only you know where you are at the moment and everyone else can just shut their eyes and imagine. <laughs> I told Nick, all you listeners, that I was having a pedicure, which namely I'm with the fire at present, getting shot. And uh, very, must I say, very pleasantly, when you rang, so, uh, you know, it's, it gives a little relaxation before I go back and get the dinner. It's just it's just what everybody wants, isn't it? A call a call from me while they're actually getting about half an hour in a day to to chill out and relax and think about nothing else. So my my apologies for that, but uh, I'm in, I'm in your I'm in your debt as always. No, not at all, Nick. Anyway, we're all looking forward to it, and uh, you know it's been a great ride so far and it hasn't stopped. Gay, thanks so much. Best of luck on Saturday. Looking forward to seeing you. Thank you, Nick. Well, there is nobody in the sport quite like Gay Waterhouse. He'll win on Saturday, she said. Jane Mangan, what do you make of that? And do you agree? I love it. Honesty. Give it to us. That's what she's thinking. Put it out there into the world. She's obviously uh, thinking that the Britain's oldest classic is coming to Australia. Well, who are you, Mal? I actually do agree with her because I think this horse is improving from what we saw in the Gordon Stakes to what we saw last time, the March Stakes. And given George Boyd's had him a relatively short space of time, it is probable that he could be getting to know him an awful lot better. So the second from Epsom, the horse that was bought for 40,000 guineas as a yearling that was sold at the Goffs London sale for 1.2 million. Wouldn't it be a huge coup for that sale if he could bring off a classic before heading down under? But it is shaping up well now, Nick. We have hmm. some a little bit more information uh, today we know that Andrea Zini replaces Tom Marquand and Zachariah, the horse that was second to Elder Al- Elderov in the Queen's Vase at Ascot. Of course, Tom Marquand coming to Ireland to ride Alan Kerr in the Irish Champion. Paddy Toomey has booked Danny Tudhope to ride French Claim, the horse that was placed in the Irish Derby. He's a dark horse and he will love and relish any rain that falls. We know that Frankie is on the supplemented Haskoy, David Egan, retaining his partnership with Elder Alderov and New London top of the market for the Godolphin team. But it is now taking shape and who you man, I would expect after that quote, might just contract in the market. Just wanted to talk a little about the uh, Bahrain Irish champion stakes on Saturday as well. Uh, Ryan Moore has been talking about his rise this weekend. It's obviously one of the key weekends of the year for him and his tenure as stable jockey to Aidan O'Brien's uh, Bally Doyle stable. We know how important Bally Doyle consider Irish champions weekend to be. And he has been bullying up Luxembourg rather as Aidan O'Brien was on this podcast last week. It's one of those, Jane, we've said, you believe it when you see it, but they're clearly feeling something in this horse that as yet we haven't seen it in its entirety. Well, we saw glimpses of brilliance last year in what was a brilliant two-year-old campaign, an unbeaten two-year-old campaign. We saw a glimmer of brilliance in the guineas when clearly things didn't go right from the start. And he ran a huge race to finish third behind the ill-fated Caribus. But last time, having missed this summer, we didn't see the Luxembourg that we expected to see in the Royal Whip. We will take it on word alone from his trainer that he will have improved an awful lot because they said he will have needed that run significantly. And they were just relieved to get a run into him before taking on the likes of Videni, Mishrif and Onesto in the Irish Champion Stakes. But he will have to be better than we've seen to to contain the French duo, to contain Mishrif, Alan Kerr coming over now and La Petit Coco in there as well. The Irish champion stakes is the jewel in the weekend. 
this weekend. I can tell you there is excitement bubbling over here. Everybody's waiting for declarations with bated breath. What two-year-olds are going to run? What older horses? And we can't wait to see these French horses in the flesh. I would be very disappointed if there isn't big crowds of people flocking from the capital to, to Leopardstown. And um, yeah, Luxembourg is good, but he's going to have to be brilliant. Very important weekend for Aidan O'Brien. The season's been very important as regards his juvenile division, trying to really bring the next group of champions through. And three of his very best juveniles, the Group 1 winners uh, Blackbeard and Little Big Bear, the brilliant Little Big Bear, plus the Philly Meditate, they're all by No Nay Never. I touched on this with Aidan O'Brien last week. Little Big Bear was bred by Timmy Hyde. He also bred Ten Sovereigns, who has his first yearlings this year. So he's really got a, a key in to why No Nay Never is starting to come of age as a very serious stallion. So I put a call into Timmy yesterday and began by asking him when he first clapped eyes on him what attracted him to No Nay Never. Well, he was a hell of a racehorse, as you know, and he's by Scat Daddy, who's most wonderful stallion, who was an awful loss when, when he died. And uh, he's such a good-looking horse, and strength and power, good mover, has great quarters, um, and a lot of quality. And it was, it was easy to be fond of him. So pedigree there, performance there, you identify the stallion, you've bred a a fantastic two-year-old, probably two-year-old champion in Little Big Bear. Does that does that still give you a kick, even after all the good horses you've bred? Oh, of course it does, Nick. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, you love to see your horses going on and winning good races. I mean, that's what it's all about: is trying to be, trying to be really good horses. Little Big Bear. Well, I mean, he, he's a very good-looking horse to start with. Um, big, strong horse very big quarters and uh, plenty of bone and a very good mover and what I saw at the Curra at the Phoenix Stakes I, I thought it was unbelievable the way he sprinted up from the furlong out and um, it looked like a horse would surely get the guineas mile and uh, Timmy tell me a bit more about the pedigree it's, it goes back to all along and you've you've kind of you've kind of set it alight here yeah, but it is a good pedigree going back, you know. It is a really good pedigree going back. And with the influence of Scat Daddy now and No and Ever, I think it's just brought it to light. I suppose at the beginning I thought, well, he can breed a fast horse. But then when you look at alcohol-free, what she's done. So he's also, he can, he, he, his horse can get a mile. And um, I just hope that some of these good ones now will come and win classics. Wanted to talk to you about Ten Sovereigns, the horse you bred to win the, the July Cup by No Nay Never, and his prospect of making it as a as a stallion with his first yearlings on the ground now. Uh, how, do you, how do you rate the yearlings that you've got and the ones you've seen? He has, in general, he has very, very good-looking horses. And there were a number of them at the sales last year, December sales in Newmarket, and they sold very well. I saw a lot of really good-looking horses there by him. And we have some very good-looking horses on the farm here by him. I'd be very hopeful for him to be a good stallion also. He's a big, strong horse with plenty of bone and um, great big quarters on him. He's very like his sire. And Timmy, as far as No Nay Never goes, we're seeing these these very good two-year-olds that Aidan O'Brien has now. We've got a, another two-year-old running this week that Richard Hannon trains, running in the Flying Childers, who looks, who looks very exciting, Trillium. Do you think this is just 
the beginning? Is this a natural consequence of, of, of getting getting better mares at a crucial time? His two-year-old crop were uh, conceived at a fee of 100,000, whereas his yearling crop now were conceived at a fee of 175. So there should be many more good mares go to him. Uh, and I should think that his best bred lot will be his yearlings at the moment. Uh, Timmy Hyde there on No Nate Never, who's responsible for some of this season's leading juveniles, Blackbeard and Meditate, who will be a short price favourite for this weekend's Moigler Stud Stakes. Uh, Philly, I know you love Jane Mangan. She's mentally so sound, a little bit like Little Big Bear in that she goes out and is so professional. She almost looks like an older horse physically and the way that she behaves as well. So I think if she were a colt, we'd be talking an awful lot more about her. We've seen it in the past where fillies don't get maybe the credence that they deserve because they're not being pumped up uh, commercially for future stud careers. But Meditate is, I think, a star and it'll take a very good filly to beat her in the Moyglare. But maybe we will have a, a good filly against her. There's a lot of positive talk for Tahira, the filly sister to Tanawa running in the Aga Khan Silks. She was a very good winner on her debut and her only run to date at Galway. But it's a very big ask going from a maiden at Galway to a group one at the Curra. Yeah, I just think Meditate is, is, she's got all the ingredients to go further. She's got, for I think a jockey, she must be ideal because you can place her anywhere in a race. You can be tactically versatile. And with two-year-olds, that's worth a lot of weight because when you jump from the gates, things change and she can adapt. What news from yesterday's Tattersall-Somerville sale? Anything of significance there? Well, it was a notable sale for uh, Michael O'Leary's plantation stud. There was four horses yesterday achieved six-figure sums. Two of them came from plantation stud. And they had good stories behind them, actually, because a zoo star filly and a shala colt, both of whom were vendored as foals, the zoo star vendored for 18 grand. She made 160,000 guineas to, or 1,000 pounds even to um, Richard Hughes. And the shala colt, who had vendored as a foal for 20,000 uh, went to Oliver St. Lawrence for 120. So that was shrewd to hold on to those two individuals and did not, didn't it just pay off? But of course, Michael and Eddie O'Leary's attention will turn to Goffs UK today as they sell some of their stars at the horses and training sale. The likes of Felix Deji, Notebook, Battle Over, Doyen, Hardline. They all go through the ring today and they're up for grabs. All right, tomorrow, Thursday, uh, sees the 2022 running of what has become one of the most popular fixtures on the sales calendar, the Goffs Yorton Sale. Uh, one man who was instrumental in its establishment was George Stannis. He was then with Goffs. He's now with Yorton. He's crossed the floor. He's now the bloodstock manager at Yorton, working with uh, David Lester and Riley Futter. Um, George, how excited are you for, for tomorrow's sale? Yes, morning, Nick. Um, yeah, we're tremendously excited, um, you know, as a whole team, but also for me personally, uh, last, as you say, the last three years I've been uh, very much on the golf side, uh, and this year I started with Yorton in January, so I've been lucky enough to see the horses all the way through the prep this year, um, which has been which has been great. Uh, we're now in our fourth year of the sale, uh, so we're just in the final stages of prep. Uh, the team are... Uh, working very hard around the yard getting it look, looking uh, as we as we'd like it um we had vetting yesterday so that all went well so that was a that was a relief but uh yeah no we're uh we're in good shape uh we've got uh, 46 two-year-olds in the catalog uh they've all been uh, loose schooled over the last uh, eight to ten weeks by the by the team headed by 
Leicester from a sales prep and, and Jill uh, in the yard uh, and the whole team there. So it's, um, yeah, we just need a, a little bit of luck uh, from the rain gods as well because the forecast is, uh, is trying to dampen our, our spirits a bit. But, uh, you know, the Yorton, the Yorton way will... Uh, will be positive whatever happens that's for sure and there are plenty of sales that take place at yorton many of those are uh, the, the kind of boutique point to point style but this is the original and and this is the sale with a difference because it is selling two-year-old stores so there is another trading point a new a different trading point for national hunt breeders and, and pin hookers yeah this was as i said we're in the fourth year now but it was very much a, a brainchild of dave's i'd say for 10 years or, or, or maybe even more that he wanted to do that. We started having um, a number of yearlings in, in the first few sales, but the, the target was always to try and have a two-year-old, um, uh, fully two-year-old in, in the catalogue, which we've managed to achieve this year, um, which is superb. And, and the results from the tracker are, are speaking. I mean, it's, it is the only proven um, grade one producing two-year-old sale um, in Britain and Ireland, um, which is great, um, off the back of Redemption Day, who's an exciting uh, novice hurdler going into this season for, for Willie Mullins. Um, and actually, just to throw one stat at you, which uh, we won't get too <laughs> bogged down in those, but it's quite incredible that 71% of the horses that have run from this sale have, uh, have won or been placed. So essentially, they've, they've picked up money um which is which is which is fantastic and and the eldest are only five from the sale so we know national hunt can be a bit of a slow burner but here at yorton with the um the education and the prep that we give the horses uh hopefully we can sort of speed that process up and that ties in nicely with the launch of the new um national hunt junior hurdle series which starts in um it starts in october so that's great um with a number of uh, gbb fillies uh, in the catalogue um, some of the 19, I think, some along those lines. And uh, this year, uh, Yorton and uh, and also the ones which are bred by James and Jean Potter, yeah. uh, we've fully paid up the GBB uh, stages, so three stages of registration. We've just gotten on, paid all three stages, so saves the owners um, a few quid at the other end, and, and they can get on and, and go chase the, the 20,000 uh, bonus, um, which is great. And also... I know all the news and so on about increasing prices and diesel and so on. It's all a bit doom and gloom. But we've acknowledged that by Yorton or, or this year, another new thing. Um, we are uh, we've actually paying or we're going to cover the, uh, the import and export paperwork of any horses that are bought to go to France uh, or Ireland. So we're just acknowledging that it, it does cost a little bit extra if you're, a, you know, an Irish or a French bar to come and, and they've been a you know, tremendous backbone of the sale, um, the Irish and the French bars. So hopefully now with the, the new junior series, uh, the UK trainers have a, um, you know, a real target to aim for. So, yeah, we're, we're here. We're ready. We'll have some showing today from one o'clock onwards and um, then on to the sale tomorrow um, at 1 p.m. So, yeah, very much looking forward to it. And George, just finally, very briefly, Blue Brazil is going to be the big draw, isn't he? The sire of Constitution Hill. He had an amazing year last year. So many exciting horses. You've already mentioned Redemption Day as well. He's got so many horses in this sale, and the top lot is bred on the same cross as Constitution Hill as well. The, first, the lot one, I should say. I'm preempting the fact that it might be the top lot. Blue Brazil out of a King's Theatre mare. Yeah, it was it's 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 brilliant the way it sort of worked out and um obviously a based crop 
of uh, of Blue Brazil here. So it's really the final chance to get your hands on on a two year old um, from here. You know, in, in Ireland, he's been tremendously popular. So there'll be more of them around. But yeah, God, he's a he's a tremendous sire. I mean, you say you know you say uh, Redemption Day and. You know, then he threw Constitution Hill and and Blue Lord and Royal Pagai and and across in France, obviously the the superstar mayor and autonomy. So it's um, he is a bit of a draw this year. We uh, we have to say, but we've got a we've got a good catalogue. We've got some young French stars in in Cordenor and Seahenge, and those are alongside uh, some of our resident stallions, progeny um, in Mastershot. We're excited about, and and obviously you know Gentlewave, Pethers Moon. Um, and and Arrigo actually has got two smashing fillies which we could not recommend enough especially Lester and I haven't seen them jump in the loose school uh, as I say for the last 8-10 to ten weeks so yeah come come to Yorton ask us as many questions if you like we will um, and we'll do our best to give everybody uh, a good time as uh, as we always do uh, Jane Marco Giani seems to have found himself in a spot of bother. It had been suggested by Jack Keane in The Sun, writing a day and a half ago now, and it was a bit remiss of me not to pick this up yesterday, that Giani had allegedly failed a drugs test at Brighton and the BHA took him off his rise. Now, the BHA won't confirm this yet because uh, they say any investigations that are ongoing are not commented on, uh, but that is what is being alleged yeah, so we don't have confirmation, we don't have evidence, so we can't really say an awful lot on it. But as is, we knew when he didn't take his rides at the at uh, Brighton, even uh, the BHA put out a statement that they can they simply said the BHA consider Guiani unfit. They did not mention tests, they did not mention any samples. So we can only say what we know, and that is what the BHA said. We cannot comment. On what is now an ongoing investigation, but uh, Gianni could not take up his two rides at Brighton because he was deemed unfit. So Liz Truss is now the Prime Minister. Uh, Liz Truss has appointed her cabinet. We're waiting for junior ministerial positions a little later on. Why does this matter? Because, of course, all of this directly impacts on when we're likely to see the Gambling Review white paper. Um, will it be kicked further down the can? Will libertarian Liz Truss's ultra-libertarian allies want to um, bring it forward so they can make rather swifter adjustments to it? And who are the personalities involved here who might have an impact one way or the other? Neil Channing is with me now to, to discuss this. Uh, right, Neil, where to start? Liz Truss herself, an, an ultra-libertarian, described to me as the most libertarian prime minister we've ever had. Um, it, that might not be to everybody's liking, but what might that mean for uh, gambling and the regulation thereof? Well, I mean, uh, you know, in a way, the more libertarian you can find them, the better it is. But uh, in this race, we had a choice between, well, I didn't, but people had a choice between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. And although she is more libertarian than Rishi Sunak, it's, it's, a, it's an enigma, the, the whole uh, Truss libertarian stuff because Ian Duncan Smith is a libertarian but on the other hand he's also a gambling abolitionist and he's quite a big force in the background of the whole trust operation mm. uh, I think you told me earlier that uh, uh, you know there was a, a lot of word going around that in, in order to bring a lot of the ERG people into Team Trust instead of going into Team Morden uh, which they might have done um, that uh, Ian Duncan Smith was quite a key figure. He basically wants gambling to be abolished. 
Um, so yeah, he's not gonna he's not gonna uh, accept a gambling review uh, that isn't too draconian on people in terms of affordability checks and that kind of thing. Uh, but also, of course, the key thing is that the the moving on of Nadine Dorries. Um, as DCMS minister, and the moving on of Chris Philp as uh, effectively the gambling minister. Um, you know, I sort of thought there was a world where Chris Philp, being a being a Dean Doris fan, uh, would come in and sort of finish his his bit of work that's it must have consumed most of his life for the last couple of years and i thought he would be quite glad to come in and just finish that off and she might be quite glad to tick one off and and sort of you know she's very busy on telling people about how she likes to deliver and so having a piece of legislation that's pretty much written and ready to go uh i thought she'd be in favor of getting it done quickly but of course the cost of living crisis uh, and the problems with the, the fuel uh, energy costs and stuff is, you know, can definitely derail it. Oh, I don't know what the, I feel like we could still be talking about the impending gambling review in another two years. Well, here, here's another a bit of personality politics to add to it. You mentioned Michelle Donnellan is now the, the Secretary of State for the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Now, she was a heavy hitter in the Penny Mordant leadership campaign that you were just referring to there with, with Ian Duncan Smith. Um, another person who was uh, heavily involved in that Penny Mordant leadership campaign was Damien Collins, who is the current gambling minister. He was the one that took over from Chris Philp when there was the Night of the Long Knives or the mass exodus, depending on which way you want to put it, of, of ministerial um, positions uh, when Johnson was ousted. So the fact that Donlan and Collins have got some sort of relationship suggests that if he wants to keep his gambling brief, he might well be able to keep it, uh, and that's the way he's going to play things, which I, I would imagine that the, uh, the, the pro-gambling lobby will be quite pleased about, as I think they saw him as a refreshing antidote to the rather more hardline filp. Um, on the other hand, Michelle Donnellan is, is what you might call part of the religious, small r religious, large r right, religious right, and she has made a couple of rather um, anti-gambling pronouncements in the not-too-distant past about, uh, about, about regulation and, and dangers of problem gambling. The other, the other thing that's quite interesting is, uh, obviously, the Penny Morden people are, are being uh, brought into the fold uh, in quite a friendly way. You know, a lot of stuff in the papers the last couple of days about how Liz Truss is really getting her own people in and being quite ruthless and not really working across the party. But it looks like the Penny Morden people are allowed to come into the tent, uh, but the Rishi Sunak people definitely aren't. Mm. And that means uh, Rishi Sunak with Midlam, uh, Laura Farris, the MP for Newbury, who covers Lambourne as well, she ran Rishi Sunak's campaign. Uh, Matt Hancock, he was a big figure in politics in the last few years, no real chance of him coming back in. Uh, Pretty Patel, obviously she's gone, massive racing fan in the cabinet. These were all, you know, three people representing uh, Lambourne, Newmarket and Midland are certainly not going to be anywhere near the government now. Uh, and also, you know, a Home Secretary who was a huge horse racing fan uh, being replaced by one uh, who's probably not really into horse racing. So, uh, you know, from a horse racing point of view, this whole thing is probably kind of bad for the influence of the sport. Uh, but the the second most 
powerful person in the country now, if you if you look at the way the lists are being written up, is uh, the Secretary of State for Health and Deputy Prime Minister Therese Coffey, who is very much Liz Truss's right hand and has done all the media rounds this morning. And she... Yes. That's the one. So she she is a racing fan. She has a Southwell constituency not that far from Newmarket, not that far from Yarmouth. Uh, and uh, she she is a racing fan, as let it be known that she is concerned about the impact any gambling review would have on on horse racing. So that that might be racing's best bet. So uh, it's a real mixed bag of, of of pros and cons. I actually feel like the Ian Duncan Smith thing could be quite big because it's you know although um, Liz Trust was a hot favourite to win this campaign from three or four weeks out. She only won on a reasonably small majority of the Tory membership. But what she never had uh, is a a majority. Rishi Sunak definitely had a majority of MPs. And if you're a Tory backbencher and you want to stir up trouble or you get angry or upset at the way things are going in any way, you've got more power under a Liz Truss regime than you used to have under a Boris Johnson regime. So if Ian Duncan Smith was to get upset, and he's probably the person that could easily get most upset about the way the Gambling Act was going, if he felt like they didn't have strict affordability checks, for example, um, he he could take his bat and his ball with him, and he's got quite a team of followers. Mm. Beware the IDS of March, or indeed any other month of the year. Um, Neil Channing, thank you very much. No problem. All right, thanks, Neil, to my other guests today. Uh, Jane is still with me and has a tip for you for this afternoon. Yes, we're hopefully going to get things off to a good start at Cork in the first race, the 405, the Phillies maiden, Tarawa, not to be confused with Tahira or Tarnawa, Tarawa, for Dermot Weld, who's been operating at a 31%. You mentioned it yesterday. His form is picking up. He's five winners from his last 16 runners in the last two weeks. 31% strike rate. This filly had a Moigler stakes entry, but she hadn't even made her debut. She's a sister to two group winners. She's by Sharmadal, the same as Taranawa. So Tarawa to win on debut in the opener at Cork. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. My apologies of the about the issues we've been having on the Apple platform over the last couple of days. I'm hoping you've been able to find this podcast on uh, Spotify, Google, Podbean, SoundCloud, or wherever else. Um, it seems as though we're not the only ones experiencing this problem, but we are are working all day to try and get it uh, resolved. As you can imagine, it's, it's uh, quite difficult to to get through to our friends at Apple to, to try and resolve it for us. Um, we will be right back with you tomorrow. Uh, That was September the 7th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm -hmm.